Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. And so with that, let me just jump in and give you a quick challenge as I get started. What are you planting that you're not guaranteed to harvest? What are you willing to plant that you're not looking to reap? Let let me ask it a little differently. What have you planted recently for the next generation to harvest? So let me ask it again. What are you planting without the promise of you harvesting. The reality is that nearly all of us, if we put metaphorically, or some of you, you put physically something in the ground, you're doing it like a farmer with the promise that you're going to get a return on the investment this season. Now, out of curiosity, I mean, I, I I don't know how many of you like maybe you have a garden or you put a plant in in a pot that's going to like bear some fruit. Maybe you use it like a like a garden herb that you're going to use for like cooking. Like like anybody here, you've got like little plants or pots or you got a little garden, like all two of you. Really? okay. All right. So a couple of years ago, um, I planted a a grapevine. I put, we have a little patio in our backyard and I put some of those like, you know, those little like garden lights up and I thought this is going to look great. And so I put a grapevine up there and this is the first year we finally have just great clusters of grapes that, uh, that we're going to, hopefully I get a harvest. Now I have no idea. I'm just going to, we're going to eat grapes. Probably easier just go to the store and buy them. But I planted the grapevine in hopes that it would grow. Now I liked it because I thought it would look really cool, but I also love the idea of it producing a harvest. And then we have a little fig tree, planted it last year, and so this year it got a little bit bigger, although one of my boys stepped on it, so I don't even know, maybe it'll survive. Uh, I'm not trying to call him out and shame him, but he shouldn't have done that, no, I'm kidding. Um, But you know, it takes figs a couple of years, and then you get a, a really nice harvest. And so everybody who plants, plants in the hope of getting a harvest. Farmers plant, hoping to harvest in this planting, right, in this season. But most of us live our lives planting, hoping to harvest this season, or at least harvest in the next couple of years. No, I mean, you know, if you're a really shrewd investor, you're aware of compound interest, and you know that if you invest young, that stuff will grow over time. And man, when you get ready for retirement, boy, you'll have so much more, right? Like, that's how we think, and that's how we should think. That's good stewardship. I also know some people, they, they like to harvest where they haven't planted. Yeah, it's true. There's people who think they can just go along and pick the fruit off other people's trees. They can just go harvesting off other people's fields. They don't have to work for it. They don't have to do anything to earn it or deserve it. They just go, you know what? That's, I should be able to have that. Now, I'm not here to shame anybody. I mean, Pastor John, he's like, what are you doing, Patrick, coming in, calling people out? No, look, what I am trying to say, though, is we have a mentality that we can get without giving, that we can reap without sowing. And then if you're, you know, if you're a little bit more wise, then you recognize I've got to sow, and then I can reap. I plant, and then I harvest. 
And if you really think long-term, some people who've got a long-term ROI mentality, they invest over many years, and they understand that over a long period of time, what was small becomes very large. But you rarely, you rarely meet somebody who plants for others to harvest. Who plants with no hope of even seeing it harvested because they're planting for future generations. Then you meet Jesus. Let me give you a little bit of indication of Jesus' mathematics on investing. Let's start in Mark chapter 4. Jesus, this is Jesus' parable of the mustard seed. And if you get a mustard seed little packet when you came in, I, I thought I had enough for everybody, every family, hopefully, to get one. Did you get one? I thought, I thought, I, there you go. So one of you got one. Anybody else get it? Can you get it out real quick? Okay, you got it. All right. So here we go. Again, he, Jesus, said, what shall we say of the, the kingdom is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like, a, it's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when, you plant, yet when planted, it grows and it becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Interesting. Now, let me be really clear here. Jesus is telling a story about a, a mustard seed. And he says, now it's the smallest seed in, in the whole, on all the earth. Now, that's not actually true. Interestingly, there's, there's an orchid seed that's smaller. But do you think Jesus was trying to make a, a botanical statement or a statement about the science of horticulture? No, he's going, in your world, in your entire world, the only seed that you know that's tiny is a mustard seed. It's the smallest seed in your world, right? And that's what he's getting at. And the point is that this tiny little seed becomes something really big. The kingdom of God is like that. The way the kingdom of God works in your life is that tiny things become really big things. Jesus and his disciples go from community to community. Jesus empowers them, his disciples, to heal the sick and to preach the good news of God's love and that his kingdom is near. The disciples meet a, a father who's got a boy who's got a, a deep sickness and it says that he even has a demon that's wrecking his life. And the, the disciples try to cast out the demon, but it doesn't work. So the, so the father brings the boy to Jesus, and Jesus rebukes the demon. The boy is instantly well. Later, the disciples pull Jesus aside, and they say, what's going on here? And, and, he, and he says this is found in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. He replied, it's because you have such little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. He goes, he goes here, here's the problem is, because you have so little faith. Now, you think when you hear so little faith that it's so small. But Jesus is not talking about how small it is, right? Because he says, even if you had faith as small as a little tiny mustard seed, you could speak to a mountain. Go throw yourself in the sea, and it would obey. So what is he talking about? It's because you have so little faith. He goes, because your faith is so weak. Or another way of saying it, because your faith is like a seed that doesn't germinate. Hey, this is interesting. Let's talk about this. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you guys don't mind if I geek out on seeds a little bit for just a moment. 
Put up with me just a moment. All right, here we go. A kernel of wheat, if you plant it, you have one kernel, you put it in a little pot, that season it'll produce about 110 grains of wheat because it has five heads. Each head produces 20 to 22 uh, kernels. So you get 110. Of those 110, 90 of them will germinate. Okay, you with me so far? It would take you seven seasons. So if after the end of the sixth season of planting, right? So if you have those 110 and you stick them in the ground, those produce each of them 110 more. 90 of those will germinate, right? If you keep sticking it in the ground, right? If you keep reinvesting your seeds, at the end of the sixth harvest season, you will have 21 tons of wheat. And in order to plant in the seventh season, it will require 620,000 acres, which would be about the average size of an industrial farm. You could feed a city with that much wheat. Simply from a little kernel of wheat. Now, a mustard seed, which we have a little picture of it up here. I mean, just so that way, you, in case you didn't get one in your hand, um, you get a little mustard seed and you stick it in the ground. Tiny little seed. Now, let's show you what a mustard seed plant looks like. Jesus said that it could be, it could be like a plant that has branches and trees and, the, and the, like branches like a tree, and the birds can come and nest in it. Right? This is like a garden herb that becomes something more like this. It's enormous. And, and what, what is Jesus getting at here? So let's just go back to the kernel of wheat thing. Out of curiosity, in one season, if you planted a, a mustard seed, it would produce a plant that can generate about 1,200 mustard seeds. Now, I did a little simple math, and I thought, okay, how many of those will germinate? Interestingly, unlike wheat, mustard seeds produce about 95, their, their seeds will germinate about 95 to 100% of the time. So almost all the seeds grow. So let's, you, you got one seed, you plant it, you get one bush, you get 1,200 mustard seeds the first season, you put those in the ground, you got 1,200 plants, let's say 95% of them germinate, Right? Now, all of those produce 1,200 seeds. Do you know by the end of the third season, you have 34 tons of mustard seeds? That's a lot of mustard. 1.73 billion seeds. It takes 1,000 seeds to get about 8 ounces of mustard, which is one of those little 8-ounce mustard bottles you get. In three seasons, you could take over 2% of the mustard market in the United States of America. So you know what I just gave you? A business. <laughs> Thank, you're welcome. And I didn't just give you one. I mean, I gave you a teaspoonful. You could literally probably take over 5% of the mustard market within the next couple of years. Now remember, make sure you give back, all right? Now I don't want you coming in, dumping a whole bunch of mustard seeds to Newport News, all right? Pastor John, he's not going to know what to do. He's going to go, home, Patrick, what did you do to us? I got all this mustard. <laughs> all right, what's the point? Tiny things become big things. And if you stop planting only for your own return on investment, it could change other people's lives. So let's jump to another story. Mark chapter 6. Jesus has been teaching and a large crowd has gathered around him. Toward the end of the day, he's been teaching and teaching, and 
people are getting hungry. And you ever, you ever been hangry? Again, in our family, six kids plus me, I eat. My wife, she never gets hangry, but I do. And uh, so, you know, you know how it is. So Jesus has been teaching, and there's, it says that there's about 5,000 men, because they're the only ones that are getting irritable. Then, but then it doesn't include all the, all the women and all the children. So you get a crowd of probably well over 20,000 people gathered to hear Jesus speak. And in Mark chapter 6 and verse 35, it says this, By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place. We're in the middle of nowhere, they said. And it was already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. They, they knew the problem, but they didn't know the solution. They, they had the right question, but they didn't know the answer. The creator of the universe, the sustainer of all life, is standing in front of them, and their solution is send the people away. How many times in our life is the God-sized answer right in front of us? And we think we got to go send people away, or we have to go away to get the solution that we're looking for. So Jesus says, well, no, you, you feed them. You go, what are you talking about? If you had a year's wages, it wouldn't be enough to pay for the food that all these people would eat. And everyone would just get a, you know, they would get a small little amount. Well, Let's, let's, let's jump ahead. John chapter 6, verse 8 and 9, it reads this way. So this story is told in all four of the Gospels, which makes it an important story. All four of the authors felt like this was a really important story to tell. Well, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? Everybody, hold out your, hold your little mustard seed packet. How far will that go among so many? I mean, what good is this? Some of you, what you have, you think, how far will this go among so few? I mean, this can't even feed me, let alone my family, let alone a community, let alone a city. Jesus receives the boy's lunch and is about to show off God's power, God's provision. And there's a principle here. So I, I talked to you about mustard seeds, about faith, about a parable, about a mustard seed, how you can plant it and then it grows into something big. About how if you have weak or non-germinating faith, it produces nothing, but if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can speak to a mountain, throw yourself into the sea, and it will literally dive into the sea. And then there's this real-life moment where Jesus is teaching a huge crowd of people, and it's time to eat. And the only thing they have is a small little boy's lunch. Here's what I want you to know. The principle that jumps off the pages of the life of Jesus in this moment and in Jesus' teaching is that generosity invites God's miracle provision. Generosity invites God's miraculous provision. You want to you experience God's miraculous provision in your life? 
I'd be curious. I mean, I'm, if you're paying attention, just raise your hand. You don't even have to get it up real high, but how many of you would like God's miraculous provision in your life? The rest of you, you don't? You're like, yeah, no, nah, don't worry about it. Right, like, who doesn't want that? You know how you invite God's miraculous provision in your life? Generosity. Because it's like a seed that you plant in the ground. But, but you know what you and I have been planting? Since I'm, since I feel like I'm like grandpa. You know, like my, my parents, when they, when they like around my boys and my kids, like they think they can give them like junk food and like whatever. And we're like, no, please don't. Because like they turn into little tyrants when you do that, right? So like, I feel like that today. Like I can just say whatever I want because then I can leave and go home. And like <laughs> Pastor John has got to come and clean it all up. But let me just say this. You, you know what you and I most of the time plant? It's not we, it's not mustard seeds. No, we have a tendency to plant some things in the soil of our own heart and our community that aren't healthy, right? Like, you know, we've, we've planted some words that we probably shouldn't have. We, some of us, we've, we've thrown some seeds of anger, some seeds of greed, some seeds of selfishness, uh, of a little bit too much self-love rather than loving others well. We, we've thrown some seeds of hurt, hate, bitterness, and of, you know, um, just being unkind and uncaring, right? And so as a result, that stuff grows up into our heart, and it spreads, doesn't it? Just like a mustard seed can spread bitterness and anger and revenge and hate, that stuff spreads. But the, at the root, you know where that comes from? A seed that was in you before you were even born called sin. It was a spiritual seed. And it grows from deep within us. We don't want it there, but it's there, isn't it? And we say things, we do things that we regret and we wish we hadn't done. It, it, it comes from this seed of sin that grows in us and it spreads through us and it causes havoc in the world around us. That's what's responsible for so much of the trouble and chaos in our world. And God knew, God saw this. He saw that the consequence of this sin root and the sin fruit was our own ruin and our eternal destruction, our eternal death. So Jesus intervened in our story. He became one of us. And, and you know, here's a moment where Jesus is doing a miracle. In fact, let me, let me just read it to you a little bit more. This is John chapter 6, verse 10. Jesus said, have, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. I just, I always like, I find it interesting the little things that the authors feel the need to add. Like it's these cute little clever statements. Like Jesus said, have the people sit down. And, he, and they just want you to know. John felt like it was important that you all know that there was plenty of grass in the place. So they all sat down. Like meaning, like it was like a picnic. It was like this beautiful, now I've actually we had the privilege of going to Israel. I've been to the place where this happened. It's almost like a giant uh, amphitheater. It's, like, it's not a field. It's, like a, it's almost like an amphitheater-shaped hillside. And it's beautiful. But, and so it really felt like a picnic. He had them all sit down. There's about 5,000 uh, people there. And um, so he has them stand. And the men sat down, about 5,000. And Jesus then took the loaves. He gave thanks. He distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And, and it says that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And boy, that reminds you of something, doesn't it? 
The night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Now, it, I love the way this story is told. We, there's a, a favorite version of the Bible that I read to my kids. I have for many, many years. Um, when the girls were young, I, I read it to them. And then I, we have three girls and then we have the, the three younger boys now. And I, I love this story in the Jesus Storybook Bible. So check this out. I, I got it for you guys. Here it is. Um, and so I'm going to just show it to you. I, I, I just I love that picture, right? There's Jesus with the little boy. And if you get down about three quarters of the way down, Jesus said, bring me what you have. And so the little boy gave Jesus his lunch. Jesus winked at the little boy and whispered in his ear, watch. I love that. Like you could just see Jesus leaning. He's like, watch this. Check this out. Look what I can do. And then, if you get to the end of the story, you go to Mark chapter, well, not really the end, but the story, Mark chapter 6, verse 42, it says that they all ate and were satisfied. Now, that's a big deal. Because in my home, it's almost like no matter how much food you give, they're never satisfied. And one of my boys will want more, and the other one who was satisfied suddenly becomes dissatisfied. Wait, he's got something I want. And they'll just eat endlessly. And so at some point you're like, are you really even hungry? No, they had to stop and think about it. No, I, I guess I'm not. Well, why are you asking for more food? Right? Like the point was like, this was a rare moment where 20,000 plus people are like all sitting back. We're totally satisfied. Something important here. The satisfaction is supernatural. Little kids, totally satisfied. Jesus came from heaven to earth to give his life as the payment for our sin punishment. He gave his life as to absorb the eternal death sentence we deserve. His life, the rototiller that turns up the soil where we have planted sin. He, he pulls out the roots of bitterness. He pulls out the roots of sin corruption. And he replaces it with his love, with his forgiveness and his spirit. Because Jesus didn't just come to earth to teach principles. He came to earth to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And then supernaturally, miraculously, and physically rise from the dead triumphant over sin. Offering new life and forever life. So that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith eats and is satisfied. And when you believe in Jesus by faith, a seed of God's spirit is planted in you. And as you cultivate the spirit of God in your life, as you cultivate the soil of your heart, receptive to God's desires and purposes, it begins to grow. Roots into every aspect of your life. Fruit produced from the roots that are growing in your life. So what's the key here? Let, let me give you some practical lessons on how generosity invites God's miraculous provision. It begins with this. Trust God as your provider. There it is right off the bat. The, only, the first and only thing you can do is trust God as your provider. What that means is some of you, what are you trusting as your provider? Yourself. My, my capacity to work and then get an ROI on, on that, right? My return on my investment, meaning what I can put in will decide what I can produce. So you're, you're, you're putting your confidence, your trust in the provider of your job, your business, your work ethic, your, 
your education, your skills, or you're trusting your boss or your, the company you work for as provider. You're trusting someone or something to provide for you. But in order for me to let generosity reveal or invite God's miraculous provision, that means I begin by understanding and trusting that God is provider. God often provides through the mundane. He provides through your diligence. He provides through basic farming principles like sowing and reaping. You work hard and you get a paycheck. But the paycheck was never the provider. Your hard work was never provider. God simply is providing through the mundane. Through the principles he set in motion. What a man sows, he will reap, right? God will provide through education. He will provide through a company. He will provide through your business. He will provide through these things. But God always provides. And sometimes those things don't produce Sometimes you get cheated. Sometimes things go poorly. Sometimes you unfairly lose your job. And in the middle of that, you know what you and I begin to do if we're people of faith? We turn to God. We're reminded that God is our provider. And this is important because how do you ever know God is your provider unless you can't provide for yourself? How do you ever know God is your provider unless your skills, your education, your capacities, all the principles that you thought would just produce, stop producing? It's in our seasons of lack and want and need and desperation that we discover God and God alone is provider. Don't curse the very things in your life that may be giving you an opportunity by faith to relearn God is your provider. Don't, don't get angry and curse the moments when you're finally invited to trust God as provider. He loves you. He's for you. Now, you trust God as your provider, which means your provision is his priority. Hey, some of us here in this room, we're parents. Our children's provision is our priority. We look out for them. They might not think we do a great job. They might not like every meal that we provide, but you know what? Their provision is our priority because that's what loving parents do. Do you know you have a loving father that has made your provision his priority? He cares for you more than you could ever know or imagine, but your responsibility is to trust him. Let's jump back into this story. Uh, on the screen, it's to say John chapter 6, verse 41. I made a mistake. That's actually Mark chapter 6, verse 41. So let me read it to you. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Remember, that it's a little bit of a picture of that communion last supper moment. Jesus broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. In this moment, Jesus takes the bread. He looks up to heaven and he gives thanks. Heavenly Father, thank you that you provide for us. Thank you that you could take a little boy's lunch and feed a crowd. Heavenly Father, thank you. Amen. I mean, you know, he did, you know Jesus didn't end his prayers with, in my name, amen. So he prayed, he gave thanks. The point is this, give thanks first. When you plant the seed, give thanks for the harvest. You start by giving thanks. You start when you sow generosity. 
by giving thanks. Giving thanks is a statement of faith. God, I trust you and I worship you no matter what I see, right? Because when you plant it, you bury it. It looks like it's contrary to what you expect. What you expect is that you put it in the ground and... But you plant it by faith and you say, thank you, God. Because God, it's your work. I trust you as my provider. And so we learn to give thanks first before the miracles. We give thanks before the provision shows up. Most of us say, I'll thank God after. No, we thank God first. And then we see the faithful hand of God's miraculous provision. Let's jump back in the story. John chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. Another of the disciples, so I read this to you earlier, um, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, right? So this is the moment he brings the, the little boy with the little lunch. He goes, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But again, how far will that go among so many? What's the principle here? Remember, the key, the big principle is generosity invites God's miraculous provision. If we're going to invite God's miraculous provision, how does that begin? Well, right, we trust God as provider. We give thanks first. And then we give to God first, even when it doesn't make any sense. Even when it doesn't make sense. Right? Think about it. A little boy with a little lunch. Like this wasn't even like a big lunch. This was five loaves. Like you think like you're buying bread at the store. No, no. These are like little biscuit sized loaves. All right, and two small fish. Like I've, when you go over, if I've, I've had a privilege of going to some of these countries. Like these are not like the big, big fish. These are like little breakfast fish. They're like little, they like fry them or something. They're like that big. So the point was like this wasn't a big meal. It was barely enough to satisfy a little boy. And so when he gives it to Jesus, all he thinks is I'm losing my lunch. And anybody watching, including Andrew, goes, I mean, give me a break. What are we gonna do? barely feed, you know, meaning give a bite to like 10, 12 people. And all they're going to do is get a bite and then be hungrier and angrier. It doesn't make sense. You give to God first. But let me be clear. God can do more with your little than you can do with much. What do the disciples say? They say, even if we had enough a, a full one year's wages, it wouldn't be enough to provide a meal for this entire crowd. Think about it. Imagine somebody in the crowd had a one year's wage. They had, they had a credit card. They could just swipe it. They, they, they had a, a year's wages worth of credit on their credit card. And, and the point was this. Even if somebody had a year's worth of wages, it wouldn't have fed the crowd. <laughs> what you think you can do with much won't satisfy compared to what Jesus can do with a little. What God can do with a little far outweighs what you can do with much, which means you trust him with your little. You say, God, I'm gonna, even when this doesn't make sense, God, I'm giving it to you. This requires us to not just trust God, but trust God in things that seem countercultural. The act of generosity is very countercultural. I'm gonna give you three, three mustard seeds in your life. Things that you can plant that will produce a harvest generations from now. The first is prayer. Pray the kind of prayers that generations from now will, will harvest. 
Would you pray over your children? Pray over your neighbors. Pray over your community. Pray over your city in such a way that if Jesus decides to wait to return, generations from now will benefit from the prayers you prayed. Number two, selfless serving. When you serve selflessly, you are planting seeds into the hearts of others and your community that will produce a harvest generations from now. You have no idea the little act of service that could produce something long-term because it grows inside of others like a mustard seed. And then it spreads and it multiplies. Every act of service is a mustard seed. And then finally, sacrificial generosity is a mustard seed investment. As I said, I gave, I gave at least several of you a business opportunity. I mean, you could literally take over. This, this Right here, Lifehouse Newport News could take over the mustard industry, a $300 million industry uh, in America. And there you go. You guys just took it over. If you just all plant, now you have to have access to, you know, 650,000 acres of property each. But nonetheless, um, no, I'm kind of, I don't, actually, I don't think you need that much. But the point is this, there's th- those three things, prayer, serving, giving. But you give first, you plant first without a promise of a return. Now let, let's keep going. I want to give you one more principle here. So when they were filled, the whole crowd eats. They were filled. Jesus said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. How how many disciples does Jesus have at this time? Twelve. How many baskets are filled up? Twelve. You kind of get the point, right? Each disciple had a basket that was filled with a lot of leftovers. If Jesus had 13 disciples, you know how many baskets would be filled? 13. If he only had 11, there would be 11 baskets. Why? Because they get the privilege of participating in the miracle of God. God allows a little boy to become part of a miracle. He allows, he invites his 12 disciples to participate in a miracle. You get the privilege of becoming part of God's miraculous provision. You can become part of God's miraculous provision. When you offer a lunch, it doesn't make sense. It's tiny. It's not even, it it, it literally makes your head scratch. God, what could you do with this? Maybe you're wondering every time you give to the church, when you, when you got to take care of someone in your community that you're like, this, God, what are you, why am I doing this? Watch this. I, I think God wants to just lean forward in your life and say, watch what I can do. Would you trust me enough to give generously, give sacrificially, give when it's uncomfortable? Yes, tithe. Give an offering. Give when it, when it hurts, when it doesn't feel natural. And then let, let God lean into your life and say, watch this. Watch what I can do. Would you, would you take a moment and just think, what kind of mustard seeds could I plant in the lives of others? What, what mustard seeds could I give to and through the church that could transform a community? I mean, you heard 
Kristen sharing about different opportunities, the four-hour city up weekend coming up. You got this, this uh, idea about giving beds that not one child has to lay on the floor a mustard seed. I mean, if you, were, if you were sitting there thinking like I was, I was like, I don't know that 250 bucks is going to pay for a bed and sheets and the mattress. Oh, wait, they must be getting partners together who are willing to donate and work with them, right? The point is, even that $250 is buying more than $250 the moment you give it. Now, I'm not here trying to, like, I don't even know anything about that organization. I think it's really cool. But what I do know is, now think about what that does in a child's life who learn a church gave. Maybe, maybe what can God do with that mustard seed? You, you see, I'm saying we got to start thinking differently. Generosity invites God's miraculous provision. God can do more with your little than you can do with much. So some of you are holding back, waiting until it's much when what God wants is your mustard seed of faith. A seed that'll germinate. Now, not every seed you plant is going to germinate. That's okay. But I, I'm impressed that 95 to 100% of them do. God, I'm going to give you my little and I'm going to trust. God, I'm going to give thanks first. God, thank you that I get the privilege of participating in the miraculous provision you're doing in and through us. I used to be so uncomfortable talking about giving. So I would just wait until I was preaching at another church and I would only preach it there. No, <laughs> here you go. Lifehouse up in Hagerstown. They have never heard me. No, I'm just totally kidding here. But the, the, I used to be so uncomfortable. And then over time, it started to hit me. I was robbing people of the opportunity to participate in the miracles of God. You get the privilege that when you give, you're, you're sowing mustard seeds into future generations. Now, if you get the privilege of seeing the harvest now, that's bonus. So, there is somewhere in your life where you've been holding back. You thought God was meager. You, you're, thinking, you're thinking, no, God just wants to take my lunch. Really? Some of you have an attitude like that. I don't want to give. Jesus is just trying to take my lunch. Think about an opportunity that little boy would have missed. I mean, God creates ex nihilo out of nothing. He didn't need the little boy's lunch. He could have literally gone like this. Heavenly Father, make loaves and fish appear in everybody in front of every single person. And it would have happened, right? We all agree with that? It would have happened. He chose to use a little boy's lunch. He chooses to work through your generosity. He chooses to work through your sacrifice so that he can do much. Would you trust him? Don't think that God's greedy. We think God's greedy often because we're displacing our own character onto God. Don't think God's trying to withhold from you. We displace our character onto God. God's not trying to withhold from you. God wants to be generous toward you, but he invites you to trust him. And so can I challenge and encourage you? Where do you need to trust God today? Where do you need to begin trusting God? By giving first, thanking God first, and then allowing him to, to invite you to be part of the miraculous provision that he wants to do in the world around you. Some of you, this is your moment to say yes to Jesus, to simply, by faith, receive God's gift of new and forever life. And if that's where you're at right now, 
Forget the money part. Forget the generosity part. Receive the generosity of God. God who is rich in mercy, abounding in love toward you, who wants to forgive you of sin and give you new and forever life. The only thing you can do is say yes to Jesus. It's going to be a, um, a, a QR code up on the screen. You can scan that. Fill out that form and one of the pastors is going to follow up with you and encourage you as you begin this new journey in faith with God. But as I pray, would you just make that your prayer? Say yes to Jesus. Others of you, as we're praying, would you, would you allow generosity to invite God's miraculous provision in your life? Would you become part of what God is doing through an act of faith that requires a physical response? Giving, generous, generosity, selflessness. Can I pray over you? Heavenly Father, thank you that we get to be part of what you're doing. God, I feel like it's such a privilege to be down here at Lifehouse Newport News. And God, I pray nothing but blessing over them. God, I pray your rich generosity over the church. And God, that as they as a church offer their little lunch, and each person in here begins to take a step of faith to give their little lunch. God, would they begin to experience your supernatural provision in their life? Would they experience you as provider? Lord, I pray that you pour out your provision over the church. But Lord, I pray you wouldn't just pour it in, you'd pour it through. That Newport News would be different because of a church filled with generosity. That the surrounding, the Hampton Roads region would be different because you poured generosity through a church. Lord, for those that are saying yes to Jesus by faith, Lord, I pray that they would receive and believe and be transformed by your love and your forgiveness. God, I pray blessing over the church. Every person in this room is blessed to be a blessing. They've received more, not so they could have more, but so that they can give more. Lord, make us generous we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.